You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 84. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, everyone. So today we're going to be talking about pony play. As you may know, we were recently presenting out at a power exchange conference, Apex, out in Denver. And while we were out there, we had the pleasure to meet Pony Tromper and Handler Jen. And they are the North American Pony Trainer 2020 leather title holders. And we struck up a bit of a conversation with them at that event, and we decided to continue it via podcast and talk about the topic of pony play and what that looks like, Um, you know, why people do pony play, how pony play plays into power exchange, how it is different from other kinds of pet play, what attracts people to it, if you're interested, what you can do to get started. So it's a really, really great conversation. I personally feel like I learned a lot and I think you'll get a lot out of it. We do cover a number of uh, resources that we talk about in this episode. I definitely recommend, if nothing else, you watch the dressage video. It is just amazing. And we will put those links to those resources in the show notes, which is going to be at atouchofflavor.com forward slash 084. So without further ado, I bring you Pony Tromper and Handler Jen. So today we're talking with Pony Tromper and Handler Jen. They are enthusiastic pony players, leather folk, and kink educators, and are founding members of the Rocky Mountain Pony Herd. In addition to being the North American Pony Trainer 2020 leather title holders, they have appeared on the Viceland Sex Positive Cable Series Slut Ever. What a great name. They have been covered in Outfront Magazine and have competed together at multiple pony play events. Jen and Tromper enjoy sharing their combined 30 years pony and leather experience with the broader community through kink education and outreach. And it's great having you folks on the show today. We're, we're very, very excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So is there anything that you'd like to add to your bios about uh, what it is that you do? I guess just to add from my perspective with the education, I also like to do a lot of outreach to our community through social media. We are the leather pony community is much smaller than, say, the leather pup or other pet play communities. I do a lot of outreach to other ponies on social media. Awesome. So I guess the best play to start is for folks who may not be familiar. What is pony trainer play? So pony play uh, is a type of animal role play. People might be familiar with things like puppy play or kitten play uh, within a leather or BDSM or kink perspective. In pony play, the submissive or the animal role is someone who enjoys 
adopting the mannerisms, adopting the behavior of an equine, a horse, a pony, being treated as such by their handler. With pony play, there's a little bit of difference between other types of pet play, being that ponies can be a workhorse or a show horse, you know, so there's a lot of different dynamics. Some ponies might be more than one of those dynamics, like they might be a cart pony, which is primarily pulling carts, but they might also be a show pony or a competition pony, English and Western uh, styles. Dressage is pretty popular, fancy pony, probably one of the more complicated styles. <laughs> so can there be like wild ponies, like ponies that need to be conquered and, and, and whatnot? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know a couple ponies who identify as wild ponies. And they're just individuals who, yeah, either they want to be broken, they want to be conquered, uh, or they just don't like being, they don't like doing what they've been told to do. So bratty ponies. <laughs> Pretty much. If the two of you don't mind sharing, like what got each one of you interested in pony play from your own perspectives, right? As trainer and as pony, like what got you interested in it in the very beginning? So speaking for myself, uh, I've been into pony play for uh, a little over 24 years now. I, I guess in the mid 90s, early internet, I was on Usenet and I came across some pony play photos. And it was one of those things that just made me sit up straight and go, what is that? It really, really connected with me as soon as I saw these pictures of people dressed like horses. And I really wasn't sure why it spoke to me the way it did, but it did. So I started doing some research and started looking at what this was. And it turns out it was pretty much what it looked like. It was people in these power exchange relationships. So what got me into it was just this feeling, this sense that this is for me. This is my thing. Uh, this is what I want to do. So that was 24 years ago. Throughout the years, I've had a number of different handlers. I, uh, Jen and I have been working together for about the last four years. You know, it's just something that has become very important to me. But that is kind of what got me into it. That's cool that that's how you got into it. What is it about it that, like, that attracts you, right? What is it that, you, that draws you to the pony play dynamic versus, uh, you know, another kind of, of MS dynamic? Yes, this is an excellent question. Thank you very much. Compared to something like a more uh, traditional MS or DS power exchange dynamic, pony play is great because, well, technically, and I guess realistically, the pony is, in my case, the submissive role. I am both the submissive and I get all the attention, which I really enjoy. I love it. I love it. And Jen, what wound up attracting you to pony play? How did you wind up getting into that? So I had been aware of pony play for 20 years, uh, as long as I've been kinky, but I did not get into it for about 15 years. It wasn't something I thought I was into. I had some lovers suggest that I be a pony, and I was like, uh, no. <laughs> when I got with my current wife, she was pretty vanilla, and so I was waiting for any opportunity to get her to be kinky. We were at a rave. And you know the fuzzy leg warmers they wear? She goes, I like when girls look like horses. And I say, well, you know what pony play is, right? She's like, no. And so I'm like, oh, Google, save us. So 
showed her a bunch of pony play videos and she was hooked. She wanted to be a pony. And I was like, okay, I never had an interest in this before, but I'm going to use this opportunity to get her to be kinky. So I started getting into it from the handler side since she wanted to be a pony. And it turned out I should have got into pony play a long time ago because it is a very encompassing dynamic. It encompasses every part of BDSM, including all the toys, the gear, the tack, implements of pain, what what have you, everything. <laughs> That's awesome. That actually mimics one of my first partners getting into kink with her was she was interested in kitties and that kind of got to bring some of that out as far as the, the power dynamic. So that's really cool. Jen, you mentioned that this is more something after years of being in the King community that you discovered and, and Trumper, you were saying you knew about this long ago. Is there like a time that most pony players and figure this out, like figure out this is something I'm interested in, or is this kind of unique and different for everybody? Yeah, from my perspective as the pony, in my experience, we do have a lot of people, they tend to find it at the beginning of their kink or leather or BDSM journey. I attribute that largely to the fact pony play is very non-threatening, particularly compared to other types of power exchange you might see, or the idea of going to a, a club or to an event where you might see a lot of things that it can be very intimidating when you're first starting on this journey into, into this, these communities. When you see ponies uh, and pony players, you still see a, a power exchange. You still see an opportunity to express the submissive side, having someone direct you, tell you what to do, train you. But there's no overt uh, necessarily beating or, you know, it's, it's not quote-unquote extreme or intimidating the way a traditional uh, DS power exchange can be. So I guess that's a long answer to your question. We <laughs> find in the Rocky Mountain Pony Herd, a lot of people who come out because they're curious about pony play do tend to be near the beginning of their kink leather BDSM journeys. Yeah, so and I have to admit to being uh, interested in this topic for myself, just from a perspective of like, I, this is something that I realized I've been kinky for like 15 years and in the BDSM community that that whole time. And I really have like no, like no real insight into into this type of dynamic. So what are some of the and, and Trump, you talked about it just a little bit, but I'm curious as to. So first off, I guess uh, before I ask that question, for most people is the, this dynamic, like a, a pony trainer dynamic, is this part of like a serious power exchange? Or are there, you know, like anything in the BDSM world where there's like different, uh, uh, you know, people doing it for different reasons? So people do do it for different reasons. There's no one way to do pony play. There's no right way to do pony play. For some people, pony play is, uh, might be sexual. For a lot of people, it's a non-sexual activity. For some ponies, they uh, actually aren't looking for a handler. Uh, wild ponies, like we talked about before, they're happy in a solo relationship uh, with themselves for this aspect of their lives. But by and large, the majority of ponies, I think, are in it for the unique 
power exchange aspect and the attention that it gets them. I was, wasn't really joking uh, earlier when I said that, that one of the things that attracts me about this is as a submissive, I still get a lot of attention. When Jen and I attend a leather event and there are no other ponies in attendance and we go into the dungeon and I'm in my pony tack and my tail and my hood and my hooves, Jen, of course, people come up and talk to her and she gets attention, but everyone wants to come see the pony. Everyone wants to come pet the pony and touch the pony. I think a lot of people are attracted to this. A lot of the ponies who are attracted to this is they get to have the relationship where you have someone training you and dictating your behavior, setting rules and expectations as you would find in other types of power exchange. And in the relationship I have with Jen, whereas her pony, she has expectations of me. There are expected behaviors, expected mannerisms. All these checkboxes that you get from power exchange are ticked. But then there's also the attention, the look at me, the praise. You know, I think it's, it's this added aspect in pony play that you find that isn't necessarily present in other types of power exchange. So that, that kind of leads, leads into other question I had that I was going to ask before, which is, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious to actually hearing the answer from this to both of you. So both of you have experience in the, or do you have experience in the like living in a power exchange dynamic or being in a power exchange dynamic without the pony aspect, like either before you found pony play or after, but in a different relationship? Have you had that experience? Yeah, I've I've had different power exchange dynamics. The pony play dynamic, I feel, can be a little bit more two directions rather than just dominant. So in a way, I've been service to this pony. You know, I have to help them be the best pony that they can be. So in a way, I'm serving the pony. I, I like that. I, I tend to be a dominant leaning person, but I do like a little more fluidity in the dynamic and exploring that. I feel certain types of pony play can definitely increase the intimacy in an existing relationship outside of the the pony dynamic because you have to learn all these commands and create a whole nonverbal language between you and the pony, which can help sync up your minds, your spirit, you know, I definitely feel closer with people that I train as ponies. So I am and have been active in the uh, BDSM kink power exchange communities outside of pony play. I identify as a switch uh, and have a lot of fun to both the left and the right side of the slash, you know, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, but in terms of how it's different from pony play dynamic, from my perspective, one Pony play is a lot rarer, so it tends to uh, be a little more exotic and a little less understood. That leads to great opportunities to talk about pony play, which is great because I love to talk about pony play. As Jen just mentioned, actually, the top does tend to have to work a little harder in a pony play dynamic and pony play relationship. When I am in pony headspace, I can't put on my own gear. I can't put on my own tack. And one of the great things about being a pony is there is a lot of tack, a lot of equipment to wear. 
in the past, it's taken 30 to 40 minutes of the handler really working hard to get all this equipment, all this gear on, just so I can strut around and get a lot of attention compared to uh, a dynamic outside of uh, Jen and my dynamic. I have other dynamics with other people where my submissives, uh, you know, it's a more traditional, more service-oriented relationship where they are there to fill a particular need, fill a particular role, and it is my job to help them find the submissive headspace they're looking for in whatever sort of scene or narrative we've negotiated for, uh, for the evening or what have you. So with all that, you're talking a lot about being out in public. It might take your trainer a long time to put this on while you're out. And, and you know, you talked about the title holder stuff. Was it intimidating the first time that you did pony play out and about? Like, is that an experience that tends to be kind of scary for people to move from maybe private play to, to being in public? And when I'm saying public, not necessarily like general public, but like kink public. For me, it wasn't because I was already an exhibitionist and pretty out there before I got into pony play. So, and, and I'm the handler, so I don't know if that makes a difference. But for me, it was just doing my thing. <laughs> it, it was at the start of my journey, too. When I started going to, quote unquote, public events, it was difficult for me to see other people seeing me as a pony because I had yet to build the confidence. I had yet to find the headspace. I was still looking for the headspace. And I'll admit in those early, early years, uh, there were times where I felt a little silly. I felt a little self-conscious for no reason. You know, now with hindsight, I know there was never anything to be self-conscious about, but I was young and it was difficult so I had to begin adopting behaviors where uh, uh, I wasn't making eye contact with people or I was blindfolded or, you know, just these mechanisms so I could focus on the internal, on my headspace. So it was a hurdle, but as is so often the case, it was not actually as big a deal as it felt it was. So... I'm curious, and as I said, I think, and it, it's really funny, this wasn't something that I had thought about too much until we talked at Apex, but even as long as I've been in the community, the whole pony trainer dynamic isn't something I've seen a lot of. And I'm curious if you, one or both of you wouldn't mind talking about, like if you're, you know, you're to go out, so you're to go out to an event, what those interactions might look like with that whole pony trainer dynamic. If you were to go out somewhere, like how, how do those interactions look? What are the customs and the, you've talked a lot about the gear and that kind of stuff. I'm curious as to how that actually, you know, the, the kind of interaction looks when you are in that space. Well, I think this is something Jen is very well equipped to speak about. And I will say we are at a place where we have had these interactions in public at kink events, as well as just in general public, because I'm usually deep in headspace. Jen can probably provide a better description than I I, I guess I'm trying to understand like customs. Like if someone comes up to my pony, I would hope they would talk to me first. A lot of times, even at some kinky stuff, people will 
come up to my pony and start talking to them or like ignore me. I'm like, would you do that in a, in a DS or MS relationship? I think I see a lot of that kind of irks me, but. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe customs wasn't the best word. Maybe protocols would be a better word, but I'm really trying to get more of a sense of what does the whole pony trainer dynamic actually look like when it plays out? Like when, when you two are interacting or how does that actually look? I, I would say it's very much like a human and a horse. We try and keep that role and not go outside of it too much. So it's how you would expect a human and a horse to be. If I was walking around with my show pony or had them hitched up to a cart, they're going to be behaving like a horse. You know, I try and follow those dynamics of straight equestrian traditions. Not that I know them all or, and I would definitely wasn't raised around horses. So I've had to pick it up through meeting other pony players. Yeah. If, uh, if I can add my perspective as well, a lot of times when we are in these roles in public, uh, whether that's general public or a kink event. So I'm a cart pony. I'm a workhorse. I like being given directions and having a task. And the task I'm usually given is pulling a cart. When we have had our pre-scene ritual where I have been tacked up and Jen has talked to me and, and gotten my harness on and I've, I've made the transition from uh, human headspace to pony headspace, we're now in a place where I'm going to be nonverbal more often than not. I'm going to be real spacey, to be honest. There are a lot of times where I don't remember a scene. I don't experience a scene so much as I remember it after the fact, which puts a lot of responsibility on Jen. She will have to lead me through a crowd by reins attached to a bit that I'm wearing. Or if she's in the cart, she'll drive me the way you would drive a bio cart pony with the reins providing direction, uh, go forward, reverse, left, right, etc., what it hopefully looks like to people observing us is, as Jen said, a person and their horse. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I'm guessing as somebody who's not, you know, involved, if I was if I was to be at a kink event and see two people interacting as pony and trainer, for you as a pony, and this might be different for each person. Do you prefer, because I know Jen had mentioned, you know, coming to her and talking for folks to like talk to your trainer before talking to you and to interact unless you want to be interacted as a human, as a horse? Well, so for myself, it's a good idea to talk to the handler first. One, primarily, depending on my headspace, I might not be equipped to interact with you. I might not be very nice. I've kicked people before. I have run into people before because they were in my way. I don't recognize I'm doing this in the moment. I just realize it later and feel bad. I've knocked other ponies over so I could have their sugar cube. And then I feel terrible about that. The one time that happened at a class at Thunder in the Mountains last year, I felt terrible after I did it. But in the moment, in the headspace I was in, I behaved the way a uh, a bio horse would, which was I saw something I wanted and a smaller pony was in the way. So I barged past them and took it. So if you see pony players and would like to interact, 
look for a handler or a second party, someone you can talk to, a, a human who's participating in the scene, or barring that, wait until you see the pony not doing pony things. If they're wearing a hood or a mask, wait for them to have removed it. Just, I, I hate to use the word common sense because as you point out, this isn't really a common thing, but as the behaviors you'd expect people to follow in a dungeon or at an event where you're not interrupting other scenes, those rules in general apply when you see pony players as well. I would also add that you can approach a pony, like maybe the handler's not around and you see a pony being a pony. Well, I'd approach them like you would a bio horse, offer a treat or approach them slowly, treat them just like a horse. That's what the the whole thing's about is they want to be a horse. (laughs) Yeah. So it's funny, I was going to ask you, Tromper, to kind of, you know, you've talked about pony headspace a couple of times. I was going to ask you if possible, if you could describe that at all, but I feel like you kind of just did in some ways. And you know, it's funny, when you were saying that, I was thinking like about that concept of like being in a space where you, you're acting a certain way in the moment, you know, with the headspace that you're in and later you're kind of like, oh, like I've done that from a a topping standpoint a few times, you know, because I switch as well. And like power exchange, I exclusively sub, but I'll switch all day long from a play perspective. And I've had times that, that, you know, Cassie likes to tell these stories where like we've been like going into like a scene with somebody where I'm like, oh, like this is going to be so mean. Go ahead, Cassie. Yeah, we had a, a scene that we did with somebody that was a puppy scene, which I had set up and not to go down the whole scene, but the idea was she was the puppy that like terrorized her. So I started calling her by that, that name of the dog that terrorized her and all the, all the, all the grief that she gave that dog, I gave back to her. Like, you're a bad puppy. Stop peeing on the floor. And when I had originally talked to Rigel about doing this scene, Rigel was like, I can't do that. I can't get into that space. Well, as soon as we started, uh, co-topping, Rigel was like, jump through the fucking hoop and move it. Like, it was like <laughs> totally different, um, you know. And then and you're after the scene and you're like, I maybe feel a little bad about some of the stuff I did do. But you loved it, so it's okay. <laughs> I was just thinking that when you were talking about the, the pony headspace. So can you describe that anymore? I don't know if it's possible to put into words or not, but like what that headspace is like for you when you're in it. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. I will preface it by saying that I've developed this over a very long time. Uh, One challenge I have talking with new ponies, kind of the way with any new submissive, is they fear they're doing something wrong because they don't find the headspace immediately. The headspace I have has come over decades. It's not necessary to get started in a pony play, but the pony uh, headspace I experience begins with the ritual of getting tacked up at the beginning of a scene. And then we usually come down from it with removing the equipment at the end. But it builds and it's kind of a going away, as it were, where I'm just settling back mentally and letting go of higher brain functions, executive decision-making skills, where it's not even just a matter of, I don't need to make these decisions. I don't need to do these things. But I've reached a point now where my headspace is such that I'm not equipped to make those decisions. Once I'm in the headspace, I'm in a place where I am acting on instinct, where I don't 
necessarily even recognize that someone is speaking to me uh, directly, much less am I in a place where I can understand what they're saying to me and respond in kind. So I guess it's, it's a very comfortable place. If, from my perspective, the way it feels, it's very warm and fuzzy, if that makes sense. It's very comfortable. And the way it looks is I am relying on my hindbrain to provide the instincts for my behavior because I know I'm not in charge and I'm not responsible. If the pony gets into the snacks, well, it's not the pony's fault. It's the handler's fault. If the pony misbehaves, well, that's not the pony's fault. It's the handler's fault. The pony's just following their instinct. So the headspace is one where it's very much just doing what comes naturally. And that is what gen leverage is when we're working together because we have things like reins and bits where what comes naturally to a horse, you know, all these ways that we harness, no pun intended, bio horses to direct their behavior, we harness their instincts. That is what the handler in a pony dynamic is doing with their pony who's following their instincts. And that leads to another question. What does the process of training a pony look like? And I guess that's a question for Jen. So training a pony, I'd like to say it's just like training a horse, but that's not true at all. It involves a lot of breaking headspace, especially if you're trying to learn something new together, like especially like dressage, for example, where there's a lot of complicated commands. To do a dressage show, ideally you would never speak to each other. You would do it all with commands, but to learn those commands, you have to practice them. You have to go, okay, I'm going to, if I tap you with the cane on your leg, it means this, you know, and then you practice them and hopefully don't have to correct anything. Training, I like to try more fluid types where I might try something first and see how they react before ever discussing it with them. You know, half the time it's exactly what I wanted. So I guess that goes into the training aspect. I also keep track of his diet and exercise. He sends me screenshots of uh, his app that shows his heart rate and calories burned and all that, sends it to me. So we do have that dynamic in addition to that when we're just seating, this goes on, you know, every day, especially if we're gearing up for a competition. And I think Cassie was asking, but real quick, you mentioned dressage a couple times. And I can't be the only person who doesn't know what that is. Could somebody help me with that? <laughs> How it's fancy pony dance. It's not really dancing. So it is, it's horse dancing. <laughs> <laughs> it's horse dancing. <laughs> Uh, you know, it is, a uh, maybe, you know, more of the history of it, Tromper. I'm not sure, but it, it was, I, it was designed to show off their horseman skills, training horses to run a pattern or do a side pass, half pass, pirouettes, stuff like that. Yeah. It, if I can't, so dressage as a thing and dressage as an event that you'll find at horse shows, dressage is the fancy footwork, the prancing, the moving in a circle, the things, the behaviors you see with horses with ribbons in their hair and a rider dressed very formally in an arena 
where they are doing motions and movements that are not necessarily practical. They're very showy. And then the events around this that allow judges to uh, evaluate the communication between a rider and their horse. Uh, so, but dressage is, oh, I recommend going to YouTube. Uh, dressage in two words is horse dancing. I'm, I'm going to YouTube it after this. We'll put, we'll put a YouTube link to some dressage in the show notes. Oh, I'll send you the, oh, I'll oh, send you do. some links. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if it's, if it's pony play dressage, even better. Yes. Okay. Awesome. The two of you are title holders and you've mentioned that there's lots of competitions and things like that. What kind of competitions are there? So obviously there's the the pony dancing, which sounds awesome and adorable. That's my perspective. And is there other types of competitions? Like how are these things judged? Is it like a typical pony type competition that you would see horses in or are there pony like races? What are trainers and ponies judged on primarily? Uh, yeah, so there's every kind of horse competition that you do at the bio horse. There's probably a pony play version of that, which is trying to mimic it, you know, as best as two people can. That You got barrel races, pole bending, definitely blindfold obstacle courses, you know, endurance, sled pulling, like weight pulling. Uh, we definitely do a lot of that. There's competitions in different places. There's like Equus, which is uh, who hosts our leather title. They're the producer of that. So that's a whole pony event outside of the leather competition. There's ponies on the Delta, Derby Days, a couple others that usually have a pretty big selection of bio horse competitions that we're doing as pony players. If I can just add on to what Jen was saying, she, she gave a really comprehensive answer, but the thing she hit on is, is as far as the types of events, anything that you find at a bio horse event, you will find a pony play event or competition that is patterned after that, that gives the same feel, although the jumps won't be as high, the weight won't be as much, uh, et cetera. In terms of how we're judged, as with a horse show, there is usually a dedicated judge or team of judges. I know at Equus, there were three judges. There was a separate tally master who tallied the scores. They would take averages, some competitions, depending how many judges they might, they might throw out the lowest score, the highest score. And not every, not every competition is about athletic ability. Uh, Equus, I thought, was fantastic this year because the the main thing people were being judged on, the pony couples were being evaluated on, were their uh, how much fun they were having. So the fastest time in a race, for example, or the fewest faults might not be the determining factor so much as just how much enjoyment are these ponies having. That's awesome. I want to see a pony jousting contest. I really do. <laughs> but that's me. Somebody make that happen for me, please. But anyway. Uh, I would be into that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. Like get some get some ponies and, and some folks that have like some jousting skills and make that work. 
I would pay to go see that. Um, I, I will get on that. <laughs> I just want to know if the lances are dildos. That's really what I want to know. <laughs> so with with the competitions, and it does sound like there's a lot of formality to it. Is there like certain gear that you have to have as a pony? Like what is the gear involved? Because you've talked a lot about gear and getting geared up and, and all of that is is like, what's the gear requirement? I have strong feelings about this. Thank you for asking this question. <laughs> you don't need anything. One of the challenges we as a community face are people who are interested in this, but they see the social media ponies. They see our Instagrams and Twitter. They see us events with all of our gear and they think that this is a requirement. So thank you for asking. You don't need anything. Someone with $10 worth of rope who has been doing pony play for all of a half hour is every bit as much a pony as I am with the gear I've collected over two decades of pony play experience. That said, you are right that people want gear and you are right that it is awesome. Uh, (laughs) There is a reason everybody has this equipment, but in terms of what you need, you don't need a thing. You don't have to have a thing. But what you find kind of your quote unquote starter kit from the pony's perspective, the handler, Jen can talk about that. I, I don't know. That's not my concern. From the pony, something in your mouth to act as a bit and some reins so that you can be directed by a handler are really all you need. And then for headspace, it seems like having a tail of some sort even if it is just a yarn on a belt, uh, is enough to help ponies bridge that divide between human headspace and pony headspace. So that's really the minimum, I think, to be comfortable, but more than you need. But from the handler perspective, uh, Jen can provide far more insight than I. I'll echo what he said. You don't need anything other than wanting to do it. But from a handler's side, it's like, what kind of handler do you want to look like? I I definitely like the Western cowgirl look because I'm more of a rebel. A lot of people enjoy the English riding look. It does look very, very nice, but uh, definitely like the Western style myself. As far as pony gear goes, I love gear. Uh, whether it's pony gear or other gear. So I get very into tack and gear, even though you don't need it. It's definitely something I enjoy. We definitely started with a tail when me and my wife got into it. I said, well, the first thing I know is, hey, let's get a tail. (laughs) So uh, we actually got a butt plug tail because we started out from the sexual side of pony play, but we are all encompassing pony players at this point. So I'm, I'm curious, you just actually broached a question that I've been curious about, which is the sexual side of pony play. And I was actually going to ask if pony play is something that people take into the sexual realm and I guess what that looks like. Definitely. For me, it started out in a more traditional BDSM sexual energy kind of play because that's what I figured it was, you know, when I had just gotten into it and that I, that's what I enjoy as far as what it looks like. I would say it mimics more of a DS sexual situation, you know, restraints or, you know, and you can use all the pony play 
gear for the same. I mean, a bit on a submissive or a pony, it still serves the same purpose. Anything specific like a scene, I might do a breeding scene uh, between two ponies or a veterinary scene. You got to examine the pony. You know, you can get pretty creative with it if you're into more sadomasochistic stuff. Uh, there's various techniques that are used on bio horses, which I don't agree with, but I'll happily do them to a human pony, like uh, gingering and uh, Tennessee walking horse foot torture, which I would never do to a bio horse, but gladly do to a human horse. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I would be really happy if you could define those last two terms to save people from Googling, because I know I will be. I suspect I know what gingering is. Gingering would be, uh, you know, putting ginger in the pony's butt <laughs> to make the tail stand up, uh, which they do to bio horses, which or they shouldn't. But And then as far as like a Tennessee walking horse, it's a very specific type of gait that these horses do that they used to train through hurting their feet to make them walk like that. Again, I don't agree with that, but you can create some fun scenes with that, with a human, you know, consent and everything. <laughs> Consent's important. See, I, I, we've done pony play. I've gingered you before. Well, I, I well, no, see, the thing is, and that's, and that, it, it's not typically called gingering in the BDSM world. I think it's usually called figging, but like, yeah, no, I was, that's not an, that's not an unpopular, an, an unpopular BDSM practice. But when you, when you said with horses, I was like, I'm not sure we're talking about the same thing. Cause I cannot legitimately think of a reason to do that to a bio horse. So, okay. Uh, they do, but <laughs> whether they should or not, I, you know. If say I have started out and I'm I'm a little past tinkering, like I, I've done the basic, just some rope stuff, things like that. What would each of you sort of recommend as like the first like gear to to invest in? Maybe it's not necessarily for everybody, but like as your favorite, what would you suggest? Oh, for myself, the gear I would recommend is a tail. Find a tail that you really enjoy wearing, find a tail that speaks to you and encourages your pony headspace because tails are very easy to put on and take off. It's very accessible. It's something you can wear to uh, the club or to a leather event, anywhere where you just want a little bit of pony time or to uh, quote unquote flag as a pony. The tail is the way to go. What about you, Jen? From the handler aspect, I guess whatever makes you feel like a handler. I was already into the cowgirl look, so I just played that up a lot. My handler headspace is definitely different than my normal dominant headspace, so I like to get into that character, which has differences between my normal a normal DS situation and a pony handler situation. Handler Jen is much nicer to me than dominant Jen. <laughs> <laughs> so what what are some similarities and differences between pony play and other kinds of pet play? And I guess along with that, I'd be curious as to why, at least to me, it seems like other types of pet play are more prevalent. So I'm going to speak specifically about... Uh, 
comparing ponies and puppies. Uh, one, because the puppy community is huge. I have a lot of uh, secondhand experience anecdotally with uh, friends who are puppies, and they're just everywhere these days. They are similar in that they are animal role play. They are typically people who want to just kind of check out and be an animal for a little while. It is an animalistic headspace reliant on instinct. And I think this is, you know, very obvious when you see pups at a mosh just doing their thing, being puppies on all four, interacting with each other, being playful, and just having really a lot of fun. The difference between the community, besides the size, I think, it is definitely more of a a one-on-one dynamic, or at least ponies typically are looking for handlers. I don't know if it is, if every puppy is looking for a handler, the gear is more extensive as a pony. Um, you can have as much gear as you want. Pups tend to have a much smaller set. Just from what I've observed at events, they have a hood or a mask. They have knee pads and hand protection. And then many of them uh, have a harness, a chest harness or something, and a tail. I don't want to come off as, when I say fewer, I mean literally fewer pieces. It's not less. Uh, but ponies have a lot of tack. When you look at pony play pictures, you know, like I said before, 30, 40 minutes to put everything on versus uh, typically how you see puppies and other pets. You know, it's a very good question. I think the pony community is much bigger than even we ponies think it is. It's just a matter of encouraging people to come out and convincing them they're not on their own. I have spoken with people who think they can't be a pony because they think they need thousands of dollars of gear or they won't be welcome. This was one of the uh, planks in Jen and I, in, in our platform when we ran for the North America Pony Trainer title was pony plays for everybody. You don't have to have these thousands of dollars. No one's going to turn you away. You know, I would add that maybe there's doesn't seem to be as many pony players because I think in the BDSM community, a lot of people have heard of pony play, right? But so many times people come up to me and say, this is the first time I've, I've seen it, you know? And so I think it's a matter of the community being a, a little disjointed at the moment, but I wouldn't say it's always been like that. It's definitely gone through different phases over the years. In the 90s, I would say pony play was bigger than puppy play, at least from my observations. I think that's uh, what I was going to add. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious too, if there's a difference in, and I'm trying to think the way to phrase this, part of me wants to say like this, the social acceptability, like within the scene, but I'm not sure it's so much that as I've seen, you know, I, I know a lot of people who will do kind of like puppy or kitten kind of play as a very casual thing. And I feel like, you know, typically when I've seen people doing pony play, it's more, it's not something that's being done as like, as one off, right? Like, you know, like I've, I've done a little puppy play here and there. Like we had an old partner who would go into like kitty mode. Sometimes I have a, we have another friend that we play with occasionally now who identifies as a fox and like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll puppy up a little bit and like fight her for her little stuffed fox that she has. But I feel like in a lot of ways, you see a lot of puppy play or like kitty plays like a very casual 
thing. And I feel like when I've seen people doing pony play, it tends to be much more like much more involved, much more in that pony headspace. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. Yeah, I think if you get into pony play, you're sort of drawn in heavier because there's all these special events and things going on. And with horses, competition is big. And every horse I've, every pony player I've met, definitely, if they get into competitions, they it's something they're really into. And so that isn't it as casual just by the nature of it being a competition. So people get into that on all levels. You know, me and Tromper, we definitely get into it heavily. We'll practice for months before an event, meet up a couple of times a week, just part of our, our thing. I, I would say that if we are out and about and I am being casually a pony, it is probably not recognizable as such because it will be more of the uh, rubbing my head on Jen or getting up close to her and making the, the pony noises. But unless I have my tail with me or unless I am wearing some sort of pony signifiers, you know, I, I would say it's, it is harder to be obviously doing casual pony play. I will say this last summer I had an experience that opened my eyes to a few things. With the encouragement of one of my other partners, I went to the Colorado Renaissance Festival as a pony with my pony gear. I was hesitant because I was concerned I would make other people uncomfortable, and I don't want to do that. That is not at all what happened. I was having people coming up, having their pictures taken with me before we even got out of the parking lot into the Renaissance Festival. We went and watched the jousting. And uh, the Knights thought it was great. I had kids come up for pictures. I had older people come up for pictures. It opened my eyes to how non-threatening and potentially ex- acceptable pony play is in a public space, in a vanilla space, as long as you're being respectful of the uh, people you're around, which does make me think perhaps there is room for more casual pony play than we, the community, currently have. I think that's an interesting point that maybe it's it's something where folks felt like it was a little bit less attainable, but there really is that opportunity to have sort of that try it, take a feel for it. So if someone is interested in pony play and they're saying, you know, I, I don't know if this is for me just yet, but I'm interested. I, I would like to find other people who have like minds and acceptance. Where can a pony go or a trainer go to meet other people like them? That's an excellent question. Thank you. (laughs) The local leather community is going to be a good starting place. As with other power exchange and DS relationships, I get the sense there are far more ponies than handlers out there. When I talk to new ponies who are interested in finding people, Advice I give them, one is, is, is work on developing your pony headspace and finding your inner pony because the odds of finding an interested partner who will explore this with you is much higher than the odds of finding an established handler who knows who they are as a handler and is looking for a pony. So building that confidence and then going out. FetLife is a great resource I've found for figuring out what events are local to you, where you should go. But to answer your your question specifically, unless you are lucky enough for there to be an established 
Pony event nearby. One, social media and internet is great to find us. We're all on the internet. We're all on Telegram. We're all on Twitter. We're all on Instagram. Find me or Jen specifically, and we will point you in the right direction. But in person, go to local munches. Go to your local leather club and identify as a pony. Flag as a pony. If there's a TNG group, many new ponies do tend to fall into the, the next generation age range. Find your local TNG group. Find your local pet play group. One thing the puppy community has been doing for years now that has really accelerated uh, in the last year, it seems. And I just got goosebumps. I'm so, what the puppy community is doing is so wonderful in places. They're shedding the puppy title and adopting the pet title to be more inclusive to kittens and ponies. Look for a pet group, look for a puppy group, look for leather events. I'll just echo that. When I first got into pony play with my wife, I said, well, Fat Life, is, is there a local pony play group? And lucky for me, the Rocky Mountain Pony Herd had just formed. So I got involved in that right away. I think if I didn't find a pony specific group, I would have searched out a, a pet or puppy group because there's a lot of crossover. There are many people who are ponies and puppies and kittens and other things. So I think searching out any kind of pet play community is going to bring you closer to any ponies that might be out there or handlers or maybe a puppy handler who wants to try their hand at pony handling. And again, leather, because pony has been part of leather for a long time and uh, established itself in there. So you probably will run into interested parties at leather specific events. It was funny. I just checked something. I had this feeling that like if I Googled pony play, I was going to wind up swamped in non-human related pony stuff. And that is absolutely not what happened. So is there like pony play or pet play events on Meetup? I know Meetup's a lot of times a good place beyond FetLife to find. I, I would say that that might be a good way if there is no established group. Why not, you know, get on Meetup and try and start your own Meetup and grow it from there? Because if there's no community around you and you're having a hard time, maybe it's uh, time to take that on and start a group yourself. Even though that is yeah. a lot of work, it can be very rewarding. Yeah, I, you know, to Jen's point, if uh, any of your listeners are ponies in Florida, I know so many ponies in Florida who think they're the only pony in Florida. Please, one of you start a group so all of you have somewhere to go. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately, when I'm looking at pony players on Meetup, I'm finding a lot of brony stuff. Is there any crossover there? There is some crossover. You know, not everyone who's into pony play is coming at it from a leather or BSM or kink perspective. The furry community contributes a, a lot of uh, our membership. And then the brony offshoot. Now, um, I don't want to talk too much about those communities uh, because they're not where I come from. I can't speak from an educated perspective about those communities. But, you know, there is some crossover. That's, uh, I think that's, I think that's great advice. I think FetLife, you know, I'm, I'm doing a little searching and I feel like FetLife is probably going to be your, if you're looking for a group, probably your best, your best bet, I suspect. Yeah, it is. And I don't 
some people have an aversion to that, but it is where you're going to find most of the established groups. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't even get on there anymore, but it's still the best place to find groups for what you're interested in. You can't, can't, can't deny that. It's just a fact. There are a couple national events. Kind of the big one is the Equus International Pony Play event every August in Los Angeles. This year, it's August 14th through 16th. It's being held at a hotel this year in Los Angeles. Uh, you can go to equusippe.com and get information. It is kind of uh, the destination for pony play. Uh, it's one of our big events. The other one next April is going to be Ponies on the Delta in Louisiana. You'll be able to find a lot of outdoor events down there. That's also a lot of fun. Jen and I have competed both of these. If anyone is interested in serving uh, the community through title holding, the North American Pony Trainer Contest occurs at Equus. That will be next August. We have a lot to say about that. If anyone wants to reach out, it's a fantastic opportunity. And if you're looking for ponies on the East Coast in your neck of the woods, Camp Crucible is not a pony play specific event, but there are a lot of ponies there. Yeah. So before we hit our speed round, is there anything that the two of you would like to add about pony play before we wrap up and get into the speed round? I guess I'd like to see more handlers coming out there. It might be a role you're like, well, I don't know if that's for me, but the handler role is very dynamic. It, like I said, it doesn't have to be a strict DS or MS type situation. I find a lot of people who are service tops might enjoy handling a pony because like, as I mentioned earlier about the interaction, the service of the handler to the pony can be very satisfying for switch people or service tops or you can get into it from an MS perspective. I can't speak to that directly, but we know a handful of MS pony players and they have their, their own unique dynamics with pony play. Absolutely. For myself, if there's one last thing I can message, I can impart. If this being pony play feels like something that might speak to you, that's all you need. Uh, there is no requirement to be a pony. There's no requirement to get into pony play, whether it is the type of pony you are, how you act, or the equipment you have. There's no wrong way to be a pony. I've spoken a lot and will continue here and elsewhere to talk a lot about pony play from my perspective, but my perspective is not universal. Any way a person wants to be a pony is the right way to be a pony. And if this is something that speaks to you, you can do it. This doesn't just have to be a, a, a fantasy you have based on things you've seen on the internet. This is very, very achievable. And people like Jen and I are out there to encourage you and help you and uh, uh, be a resource to people who want to, do, who want to approach this. Awesome. I think that's a fantastic way to end. So on that note, we're going to hop into our speed round. So what we're going to do is because there's two of you, so this requires a little bit of teamwork, which I'm sure the two of you are pretty good at with being pony and trainer, is we're going to go back and forth. I'm going to start with Jen. And the idea is to get through the questions as fast as possible. So I'm going to ask the question. Jen's going to answer. I'm going to ask the next question. And then Tomper, you're going to answer. And we're going to go back and forth. Okay. Sounds good. So first thing that comes to your mind, the goal is to be done in a minute. 
Some people do it. Some people don't. It's fine. There's no wrong answer. (laughs) All right, Jen. So what is something you're not very good at? I guess that's I'm very critical of myself. So I think I need improvement in doing dressage, but that's because it's one of the more complicated pony play activities. So there's always room to improve on that. Awesome. Chomper, best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? Uh, Be open and honest no matter what. Jen, what are three things you couldn't live without? (laughs) BDSM and sex. (laughs) And my partners, Pandora Pony and Tromper Pony. Aw. So, Tromper, what turns you on? Powerful women and powerful men. Jen, what's a book that you would recommend for our listeners? Trying to remember the title, but Submiss Ann has put out a pony play book as well as Rebecca Wilcox, The Human Pony, I believe is what it's called. Awesome. Chomper, tell me something that is true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Uh, uh, Cashews are terrible nuts. You are better served by buying peanuts. (laughs) I agree. Jen, what is your biggest fear? It's hard to scare me, so questions I can't answer. (laughs) Chomper. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? This can be a sexual answer or non-sexual answer. The most adventurous thing I've ever done is serve as uh, the North America pony title holder and do a class on sexual pony play with Jen at an event in front of an audience. That's pretty adventurous. So Jen, who is your movie or TV famous person crush? I don't know. I don't usually crush on celebrities that are well-known. I guess, you know, Khan of Lords of Acid is a big uh, crush and influence of mine. And I've had the pleasure to hang out with him multiple times. Awesome. So this is for both of you. What is something that the two of you are working on right now that you'd like our listeners to know about? Uh, we're just uh, trying to get our uh, more events to get out to. So if you have any ideas, feel free to contact either of us. We do have quite an extensive list already, but welcome going to more events and just getting out there, reaching out to people. Spreading uh, the word of Pony Play as title holders. And then just like before, when our title year is up, we will continue to work on this through uh, education and speaking on programs like this and really just trying to be visible and live the example that ponies are here. We are a part of the leather community. And if you want to be part of this, you can be and already are. All right. Last question. We'll do this for both of you as well. Uh, We can start with you, Tromper, and then go to Jen. Where can our listeners find you? You can find me through our title blog, Tromper.horse. Did you know .horse was a domain? I do now. Much to my surprise, you can find me as Trumper on FetLife. You can find me on social media at Twitter and on Facebook. Twitter, I'm Pony Trumper at Pony Trumper. Uh, and Facebook, if look for Pony Trumper. I'm the one who's into pony play. That's where you can find me. And how about you, John? So you can find me on FetLife under the name Pleasure Treasure, all one word, no spaces. You can find me on Facebook as Domina Jen, on Instagram as Domina Jen, or my actual username is HyperZynZynN. And I think uh, those are the three 
main ones that I use. I also always welcome email if you want to do that. Contact me, Domina Jen, with two N's at the end of that, Jen, at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I, I have myself learned a ton today. So that's always great. Wonderful. Thank you very much for uh, this opportunity to come speak about something we're so passionate about. Thank you. Thank you as well. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 